What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Optimum Drive presented by TFL Podcast. This is our second episode. We did a first episode uh, with the guy sitting over here next to me, which is Steve Dynan. So if you haven't watched that one already, uh, maybe hit pause on this one. Go back and watch uh, the first episode with Steve. Uh, that one was about cars. This one we're going to talk about driving, and we're going to kind of put it all together. And uh, so just a quick recap. Uh, this is Steve Dynan, um, very well-known in the automotive world. You'll see him in just about any racing paddock on any given weekend uh, in the United States. And uh, I've known Steve uh, for basically about 25 years now and yeah, um, right. yeah. had him as an engineer with my cars. I've driven his cars, his street cars, his race cars. Um, a dear friend and uh, amazing as an engine builder, chassis engineer, uh, road car builder as a tuner, uh, all of those things. So for something like this where I really wanted to kind of nail down a little bit of a baseline since these are my first podcasts on what it is to be a good car because they hear me complaining about good cars all the time because I go and review cars and I yeah. come back. I just drove the Mustang Dark Horse and... The, the brake pedal was super overboosted. It went straight into ABS. You couldn't modulate trail brake with it. Uh, the steering was incredibly direct, which was good. It had zero feel whatsoever to it. And the car was really fast, but it's like it has no feel. Yeah. And even great car companies make cars with weird problems, like even being a Mercedes Porsche. I mean, those are the cars I tune on. I have things that I don't like about them. Like the first thing I do when I start tuning cars, I just drive it around for a month. Yeah, before and, you even... And what do I like about this car? What do I not yeah. like about this car? Then I take the guys and they put it up on the lift and we take it apart and measure things and try and figure out why the things are the way they are that we don't like. And it shocks me sometimes given the amount of resources that these companies have and the experience they have, some of the things that they do. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> where, where you're just like, did they just run out of time, money, Interest, what was it? Because were they trying to use a part they had on the shelf of another car? Well, that's a very often you, the case. You know, so very often the case. Were they trying to make the car for a certain price point, which is tough these yeah. days because the market's so competitive? Or were they just trying to make it for an average consumer who can't tell the difference and... Yeah, or hoping. Yeah. yeah that, that's like, that's their demographic is like people yeah. that don't really, can't really feel the yeah. difference anyway. Um, I, yeah, that's absolutely true. All those things are true. And there's very few car makers... And to me, I don't know. It's interesting. It's kind of like you, because I think you're a good example of this as well. Like, if you worked at a car company, I would really like driving those cars. Yes. So, so that, and you kind of do. You have your own company that modifies yeah. all these cars. And again, we talk about this in episode one, but, but Steve modifies basically all the, most of the premium brands now mm -hmm. out of your Carbon, yep. um, you know, uh, business and, and 
he sold Dine and Engineering with 2013. Yeah, 10 years ago so now. So 10, 10 years ago. Should have retired, I guess. <laughs> did a startup at 69 years old. I'm not dead yet. He's, so. <laughs> he's, he's like really smart, but he's also not that smart. <laughs> yes. All at the same time. I uh, spent half the money I made in the first one starting the next one. So well, exactly. hopefully, it will, hopefully it works out. Otherwise, I, I spent a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have this faith that I can do it again, yeah. that I figured out how I did it the first time. Hopefully yeah. that's true. Yeah, exactly. My, my lovely wife has enough okay. faith in me to let me go for it. She's, yeah. she's in for the, the ride now. It's she's like, she's a phenomenal person. Yeah. 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 So, so that's kind of the cool thing is like, to my point about Steve is that whenever I've done this, like one thing I'll do when I go test a car and if I like it, so, th and there have been several that I've liked recently because they usually send me to do track tests and track tests are usually done by manufacturers that are proud of their track product generally. And, and so I always like to go find like, who's the lead engineer? Who's in charge of this platform on yeah. this car? Yeah. And usually I'll go shake their hand and I'll just say, nice job. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what's cool is like the conversation that usually spills out of that is from a very passionate, knowledgeable person. And so you can have like 20 great engineers within your platform team. And unless that person up top yeah. knows how to drive, and understands how a car should handle, yep. you usually don't end up with a good product. You end up with this, it might have like an amazing braking system or two or three or four systems, but they don't work together in this like coherent package that makes no, look, the, for this wonderful best, dr driving car. Sorry to interrupt, the best car engineers are also skilled drivers. Yes. Not, without exception, yeah. Adrian Newey races GT cars. Yeah. Chris Simmons is, uh, and engineers at Ganassi, mm -hmm. I think he's Indy Lights champion, I think he was right. back in the day. And all the really good engineers, because it's hard for you, I don't care how much school you've been to, how much data you look at, if you've never felt a car in the limit, and you've made a change that car, and registered in your brain what that change feels like, when the driver gets out of a car and tries to explain to you what's going on, you can't understand it. No. You can't. No, absolutely. And so that, that's always the disconnect that occurs, and maybe that's a good place or a good moment to talk about this, because... We talked about the race car last time and yep. road cars and what makes them good and not. Yep. And, um, and there is this dysfunction, this disconnect that very often occurs between very good engineers and very yep. good drivers yep. where they each basically are speaking a different language. Yep. And, and one is objective. One is measured through data systems, which is what engineers generally do. They look at data and cars have sensors all over them these days. And yep. you're measuring so many different parameters. And they have an ideal thought of what the setup should be, what their data is telling them through their experience as an engineer. And then a driver, on the other hand, is, is purely subjective. We look at data. We look at data all the time, actually. But we really, we don't look at car data. We look at steering angle and brake pressure and throttle position. What you're doing to the car and instead G of what the car GP is doing to you. Yes, we look at <laughs> and GPS position. So we, we, you know, we're, we're all using data, but yes. we're using it in very, very different ways. And the very best engineers understand, at, to Steve's point, because they've been there, they understand subjectively what it takes. Because here's the thing, we're, we're emotional creatures. Like, we're not robots. As much as the engineers hate that, they would love that. <laughs> because then they're like, I could just program in to what I think the best setup is, and technically that car is just going to fly around the track with my programming. But because there's a human being connected to those three controls that make the car speed up, slow down, is and turn... Controls? 
becomes how we go. Yeah, well, unless you have a clutch, right? <laughs> Sorry, just how many controls? Do you, how many are in your car seat? <laughs> so, so <laughs> now I'm I curious. I'm curious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to walk out. How many out knobs are on the steering wheel? Yeah, but okay. yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> just keep it simple. Okay. <laughs> so, so the you know, and and so we're emotional about it, right? So the car can scare us. The car can intimidate us. The car can surprise us. Um, the car can delight us. I mean, it can do all these things to us, right? And this affects how we interact mm -hmm. with the car. And so if that language isn't good between the, the driver understanding what the engineer is trying to do, which I'm just trying to make you faster, everyone, again, trying to do the same thing, trying to mm -hmm. achieve success with this team. Um, and then the engineer also needs to understand, obviously, that the driver, you could put a setup in the car that technically is faster, but is scary as hell to drive, right? Like not a comfortable car to drive. And, and maybe too much on the edge or maybe, you know, whatever it is, or maybe it goes away halfway through or, or there could be a whole list of things, right? So yep. you're trying to find, as with everything, we're trying to find balance and efficiency out of everything we're doing. And so the engineer, to Steve's point, um, if they're going to be really good, they need to understand what a driver needs to drive their setup, that car, effectively, efficiently. Yeah, but not just understand what the driver needs, understand what he's actually saying. I've seen so many young engineers, particularly ones out of college, who think data is the and the computer will give them the answer to all questions. It will not. Data is an additional tool, is what it is, and it's a very important it's tool. Powerful, uh, and it's powerful. I spend a lot of yeah. time looking at it, but I honestly won't work with a driver who can't articulate what the car is doing. I've had a lot of guys who are really fast, and they're what I call. Uh, hand-eye coordination machines. Right. But they're so busy thrashing in the car, they get out of the car and they cannot tell you what the car did. Yeah. They can't tell you if they did it to the car or the car did it by itself. Yeah. Because yeah. they automatically just compensate yes. for whatever's going on. Yes. And they can't tell you. And you, you can look at the data and the data will say, oh, the car doesn't understeer. Okay. Does it not understeer because the driver manipulated it not to understeer? Correct. Or is it really yeah. not understeer? Yes. Right? yes. And the data won't tell you what the driver's doing. This is even harder when you race motorcycles. I'm told by a couple of guys, I know they're uh, world superbike engineers. He goes, a third of the weight is the rider. Yeah. And he's hanging And off, he's moving. And he's everywhere. moving around. Yeah. yeah. Right? And as soon as he doesn't like the bike, he's just going to shift his yeah. chest or his head or something or his knee and he's going to change the bike and you go, okay. Did he do that or did the bike do that? Yeah, did and, my setup change do that? Right. Yeah. So you have a, a driver who can articulate what he did and what the car is doing and what he doesn't like. Yeah. And I honestly put more stock in the driver still to this day. And I'm an old school guy who started engineering cars before we had data. So that's probably He's why. He's about to say something that's going to make What's me that? cry. No, that's Keep fine. saying it. No, I, just, I, I usually honestly uh, pay more attention to what the driver does in the data. It's not that I don't look at the data. As, as long as the driver is... At, at that level, and, that, and I won't yeah. work with somebody that's not yeah, that way. Exactly. I have two drivers. It's, it's an important distinction, right? It is. It's an important distinction. I've had a lot of drivers. Like when I worked with Jeff and Tyler at 19 and 20, uh, we won our championship at GT4. Jeff is one of these people that really wants to pontificate about all the details of what the car is doing in very great detail, which is fantastic. Yeah. Get Tyler in the car, and you make a change, and he, and he gets in the radio and goes, Yep, I like that. <laughs> a man, a few words. <laughs> or you it'll go, better, worse. <laughs> but honestly, that's honestly, it's just as useful. In the, in the moment, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know. <laughs> the radio doesn't work for the full lap, Jeff. I'm not going to hear what everything you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing, too, is Tyler will always you, make Jeff, an observation that Jeff doesn't make, and Jeff always make an observation that Tyler doesn't make. Yes. We have two drivers that are both good, but they're telling you something different. Yeah. You take all those clues, and you put those clues together, and then you put the data with those clues 
clues, that's a third clue. Yeah. And does the data validate what they say or does it disagree with it? And then if it disagrees with it, why does it disagree with it? Yes. You need to drill down and find out why does he feel this way? Because the data tells you the opposite of what yes. the person's telling you. And you and you trust right. this person. So and yes, but you need to understand why. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because it's it's not always completely obvious. Yep. That's where that's when you get to work. And to back back to your original point about drivers or riders in yeah. the MotoGP example, like compensating. Like I, I talk, I do talk about that a not from drive, and I call that the difference between a good test driver and a good race driver. Mm -hmm. A test driver puts in the same input it, uh, during a practice session or a test session, mm -hmm. and and just puts the same inputs in all the time. Those three, mm -hmm. three, three inputs yeah. puts them all in the same time, right? Same inputs, and then that way, when they come back in, anything that he sees differently on the data, trusting the driver has done that, yeah. he knows was car setup. So if the car it understeer, oversteer, different phases of the corner, things that have changed. Uh, different types of corners, all that. And we didn't really talk about that last time. We started to, we didn't finish it, but I want to finish that point. I was trying to say when I drove for you, that was the coolest part about the relationship. So this tie into talking about the driver now. It's that trust thing. It's that communication mm -hmm. thing where Steve knew me so well that he would make a change to the car because I would come in and I would say in a certain corner, uh, you know, and we think of corners usually in three phases. We think turn in, mid-corner, exit, and we think fast, medium, slow for corners. Um, and so, so I come in and I'd say in this medium speed corner in the turn in phase, the car doesn't want to turn. And he's like, okay, I can fix that. And then in his head right away, he thinks of the entire lap and he goes, I can fix that, but he can fix it three or four ways, right? You could fix yeah. that three or four ways, but each one of those ways is going to have an effect mm -hmm. on different corners mm -hmm. differently. So he knows me and he knows my envelope I can operate mm -hmm. in. He knows whether I can compensate for understeer or oversteer, that that's going to create somewhere else in some other corner. And so he'll make that change, and he won't even mention the other bits because he knows I'll just fix it. <laughs> and so he knows the car will just be net faster. If he didn't know me or, or he thought Paul doesn't have that ability, he would do a different change mm -hmm. for that particular issue that I'm talking about. So when you get into that relationship, to me, that's the magic. Like, yeah. that's the special part. It's where he understands my envelope, like what I can do differently as a driver, because that's the thing. As we talk about driving now, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to take a car that is never perfect. We established that last never time. And, and you might make, the car, make a car that almost drives itself through a certain type of corner. Like, it's really, really carving really easy. And carving means through those three phases of the corner, it's kind of effortless. Like, it's sort of like how a NASCAR car would corner through a turn when they get it set up right. They almost literally let go of the wheel. They're more zero fun. steer. They're yes. <laughs> oh, get in your wheelhouse. Bonus here. points. So they're almost they're fighting it down the straightaway, and then it it just carves through the corners. That's what you wanted to do. That's it. So so when you're when you're setting up a car, a road racing car, you're kind of looking for that same thing. But you'll but the thing about it is in NASCAR they might have two different types of corners or you know in indie yeah all the corners are different for you know because you've got headwinds and tailwinds so i'm oversimplifying what those guys do it is so very scuffs be between one and two and then also between three and four so when you enter four it's easier to stay flat than it is in one and three there right? you go right so right, so it's more, speed, it's more right? yeah it's more yeah. it's more complicated than i'm than i'm than i'm leading on i'm not trying to minimize what those guys do but because we have slow medium fast left and right, and we also have compressions and crests, right? So we have yep. in three dimensions on a track. I just came back from Sonoma. Cool I block. love the compressions and crests. It's so I think so it's what good. makes that racetrack so it's great. It's so good, yeah, yeah Sears Point, right? It's just such a good track. 
And so I was just driving that, and and uh, yeah, I just you just remember. Like, your point though about you know you make make a comment and I make a change. Oftentimes I'll list two or three changes to the driver and let him select one even. True. Remember that. And you'll like, tell me you'll you, this one's going to do say, this. You'd say what the yeah. knockoff is. Right. Like this here's one's going to be this part better, this mm -hmm. part worse. This one's going to make this part better, this part. Which one of those three compromises would you like? I've had a lot of engineers that don't want to give the secret sauce away. I, I'm confident enough that I'm probably a better engineer than anybody I have ever had to race against, that if I accidentally tell them some secret sauce, I'm still going to be able to beat them with something else I know that they don't know. I love and that. So, so, <laughs> so I don't... I Open don't, book. No, I don't ever hold... You know, I don't yeah, ever hold back. I, I will sit there and say, I'm going to make the following changes. Here's the ramification mm -hmm. of the changes. Here's the three things I could do. Here's why. Yeah. Okay? And, and, and I'll just tell the driver, and he'll go out and he'll evaluate the change. I've had a lot of engineers who don't want to tell them the change because they don't want the, the driver to parrot back to them what they said. Yes, yeah. Okay. And, and, and that, there's, a, there's a lot of that. And if you have a driver like that, he's the wrong yeah, driver. You, you have a lot, yeah. Right, right. So, so yeah. my point is, is you tell him what it will do, so he, look, he so knows what he's looking for. And then you come back and say, okay, it did what you said it was going to do, but not as much as I thought. You need more of it. Or it didn't do what you thought. It did right. this instead. You have to have that relationship with the driver, because if he doesn't tell you that you're wrong, right. or the amount you gave me is wrong, yep. then he's the wrong person, because you can't make the next change for him. In exchange, you also have to give him the information to make the proper evaluation, not hide things from him, because you're worried about him getting your secret sauce. Exactly. It, it's, it has I mean, to be yeah, a relationship. It has to be. It okay. has to be. It's like, I always say it's like doctor-patient. Yes. It's like, you got to tell me things that you're not willing to tell anyone else, if this is really going to work. Right. Otherwise, like, I can't diagnose your disease, it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. So it is It is like that. It's like this, and that's that's when the relationship, yes. I would call it functional at that point. Yes. It's dysfunctional most of the time yes. within most teams because it isn't that intimate. That's a good yes. word, right? Yes. It isn't that intimate. And and that was the that was the magic. So we would show up. I I, I in my head, I don't know why, but like mid Ohio in the ST car really jumps into my head with with the uh, three twenty eight that we were running in yeah, with yeah. Insight. But and and you know, like there were times in the Volvo and all that that we had the same sort of thing going on. But I just remember there wasn't a single session the car didn't go faster. Yep. And we were just like strength to strength. Yep. And it was really cool. And, and the best part about it being really cool is it was so efficient. Yep. It was really efficient. We did not show up with a fast car. Not but by the, time, by the time we were through practice and into qualifying, we had a very fast and a, yep. and a consistent, easy to drive carving yep. car that was just that wanted to corner through all the corners at Mid-Ohio. And it was me, like, on fingertips, barely having to do anything because the car was just so on point everywhere. Yeah. And so that's where it really works because you said the magic word a, a moment ago. You said the right compromise. And that's something everyone needs to understand, <laughs> that the entire operation is only compromise. Everything is compromised. Yeah. How I drive it, how he sets it up, how the damn thing was built in the first place, yeah. what we're choosing to run, how much time we have to run, what the weather is when we're running. The tire. All of this, <sighs> it's this it's this crazy combination. What makes it so interesting is like, you know, you think of like something like chess where it's set moves and that's that's what's different about racing. Like when you get out of virtual reality like a game or in a computer this is not set moves. There's there's infinite variation between every single thing, and and so you might have clicks on your on your dampers, right? But he'll go revalve them between the clicks if he's not happy about where the clicks are, <laughs> yeah. right? And and or change the thread pitch on the knob so that the oh, steps are smaller. Oh, God, <laughs> will he never stop? <laughs> but no, that, all ones has a thread pitch on the on the low speed bleed that you could. It's sixty percent of the other bleeds. You can make the clicks closer together. That's awesome. 
See, see, that that's kind of the whole point, right? Where that's that's one of those things where technically you're not allowed to change it because the shocks are, are homologated. Is this another one of those that's things we're not fine, supposed to? That's fine. That's fine. Care. But but you, you really think the sanction bodies gonna take the shocks? They are now. And check the thread pitch. If you're from Come IMSA on. or <laughs> okay, please switch off now. This is only for racers. <laughs> so so even even when there's things you're not supposed to change. The, the basic rule in motorsports is this, when it comes to fudging the rules, in my experience, okay? All right. Write this down. If it's a 99% chance you're not going to get caught, you have to do it because your competitors will and they will beat you. That, that's, no, that's valid. Uh, so, so, so scrutineering has to be good enough to catch all the really big things. And there's a bunch of subtle little things, like the thread pitch of a screw and this yeah. or that, or the tension of a bolt or a bushing or whatever, that's impossible to police. Yeah. There's not enough manpower. They have to spend days taking your car apart and measuring everything. But all those little teeny things, like we talked about the one flat on the spring collar, adds up to the second a lap that we were talking about. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't do them, then you're a second off. Right? And, that, yeah. and so yeah. it, it, you have to do them. So this is, we were talking about in the first episode, and I want to say it again because Steve said this, and I thought it was it was a pretty cool way of summarizing this. But, you know, he, he was saying that everyone always asks him, what's the thing I should do to make my car fast? And he goes, it, it's a thousand things at one thousandth of a second. Yep, gives you a second. That, a lap. that adds up to the second a lap. That and by the way, some for. of the, a lot of things you can't even measure. This thing is so small. You just know based on your experience that it's going to be better if you do it. Right. And you can't even quantify it. Yeah. You just, and <laughs> you mo just moving start. on to the next thing. Yes. I, I did. I just had to check that box that I'd done yes. that thing with this car, like it yes. worked on my other cars, and and now we're going to. And go. the other reason the report is so important, you have like in in in, in the GS right now in IMSA, we have two one-hour practices. Okay. So no practice, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, in, and in GTD, we had two one-and-a-half-hour practices, which is really luxurious, having three hours. You have to make four or five changes an hour because every racetrack is different, every tire, every weather is different, every driver is different, and you arrive at a racetrack, and the car is not always exactly yeah. right when you unload. And the only the way you get it to be a good race car by the end is you have to make more correct changes in a shorter period of time than the person you're competing with. Absolutely. Okay, that's, that's how you that's, get there, that's right? That's the formula, yeah. Right, that's yeah. the formula. So I'm, I'm make sometimes three or four changes at a time. Sometimes I'll make three or four changes an hour, one at a time. Sometimes I'll make three or four changes at a time, three or four times an hour. Right. But 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 the point is, is that I'm, I'm working my way through a list, which I pre set ahead of time, uh, like a test plan right. of things I want to try that I know this will affect. And I have notes in my setup sheet that says, this affects this, this affects this. Like we're talking about the Audi. Yeah. The, the, the compression uh, on the front of the car affected corner entry release under braking. The packer affected the balance in the center of the corner and the rebound affected the exit traction. I knew those three knobs already. You tell me what are your problem is. Right. I have a solution for yep. the problem. It usually takes me about six test days and about six races to really understand every cause and effect that you could do to the car. You run through like the gamut of combinations. Yeah, you sweep, yeah. you sweep camber, you yeah. sweep toe, you sweep shock clickers, you go to the shaker rig, you, you match the shocks of the springs, you'll do aero testing. When you're all done, you get to the racetrack, you have a playbook, just, yeah. just like a football coach yes. does, right? Yeah. And the, and, the, and the playbook enables you to get the 10 changes done in the two hours that you have. Yes. So you have the best car it's when you get It's not the first time there. you've ever done that. No. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. And that, that brings up a good point, because you and I dealt with this on the Volvo, where we wanted to do sweeps, and the existing people on the team ah, were, fighting us. were fighting us on sweeps, because they're like, we already tried that, and it didn't work. And then you go, did you try that? He's like, well, the guy before me said, Told he, me that he, did. said he tried it, and it didn't work. And then, and then they're sticking to their guns, because realize, like setups, you get into egos in motorsports, shocking, um, but they've become points of pride. Even though it's not technically a setup, it's an inherited setup. Yeah. Even if it were that setup, yeah. it's like anytime you come into a new team, you want to run these sweeps. You want to do every change you can 
until you see that thing not and, help anymore. And by the way, till it degrades, then you come back again, right? So you want to see where the the, the stiffest springs at the softest spring, yeah. the stiffest valving, you know, low speed, mid speed, the high speed, all the way through everything, yeah. toe, Ackerman, camber, right? By the everything way, you can also, do. Also, every car is different. Every car. And so you just because you tried something on the last five cars that it never worked, absolutely doesn't mean you shouldn't try it again on the next car you get. Yeah, because it might surprise you and actually work. Even if it's the, the <laughs> just the newest iteration of a car you've been racing for yeah. years, things yeah. things change, yes. right? And so you're just leaving potential time on the table. Yep. And that is the opposite of what good race engineers and racing teams and racing drivers no. do. And the other thing is really good race teams with multiple cars. And this is the other thing I found with small, not good teams. Uh, one engineer won't want to share his setup with the other guy because he doesn't want him to know his secret sauce again. Of course. Because of his ego, right? Yeah, but course. really good teams, if they have multiple cars, they, they're required to share all the data with yeah. all the engineers. So if you have four cars running IndyCar racing, for example, Penske or Ganassi, all the engineers will be in one room. The main engineer, the assistant engineer, and the driver. So if you have four cars, you'll have three people, you'll have 12 people in the room, and they'll all be sharing comments, they'll all be sharing setups. You start seeing correlation and all that yeah, good and they stuff. Say, and then they'll go through it, and then they're required to make notes. Every time I make this change, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, then they read all the notes. You can learn as much from the three people that you're competing against as you can by yourself. Now the quantity of four things times you can make is four, time, is yeah. four times yeah. the progress yeah, yeah. in a given day. And, and all, every engineer, even if you don't plan on purpose, will go a different direction with the same problem. Like I said, I give you those three options. One guy will try option one, the next guy will try exactly. option two. And then they'll all three. Because they okay, bounced it off their driver and their driver might have gone for a different one. Right, right. right. And then yeah. when you're all done, okay, which one of those three worked better? Or, okay, let's put that in the other three cars. Now let's go through yeah. those options again in the next session, yeah. right? And and that enables, that gives you the power to get where you need to be in a short period of time. Yeah. But it only works if everybody's sharing everything they have, not yeah. holding anything back and working together as a team with everybody that knows what they're doing. And that's, you can't get there any other way. Yeah. I used to, I had that saying that I used to, and I still say this to all my race teams, like you should be able to follow up any decision you're making concerning the team with the statement because it makes the car go faster. Yeah, so that is the reason we're there. Yeah, and, and <laughs> but you, you're shocked like how many times that you can't add that afterwards. You're like, well, that just makes us look better or that's a nicer hauler or that's a nicer pit stand or, yeah. you know, whatever the case may be or... I'd rather spend money on that than let you guys go testing. Not that you're allowed to go testing yeah, anymore, yeah, but yeah. yeah, but all all of those things are part of the process. But again, because we're human beings, like to get back to this, like th this this little bit supposed to be kind of on the human element of all of this. Um, that's the thing, like you said, the egos get in the way. I mean, that's that's the thing about racing, driving generally, or racing as as an entity, is it's a lot of people with big egos because yeah. you know you're kind of at the top of. Your game, you know, if you're you're in motorsports, like you know, you've you've worked on this your whole life, probably. You you've gone through either engineering school or racing or whatever you've done, and and this is this is like you know, you, you think pretty highly of yourself, or you wouldn't be there. It's Look, kind of I mean, part of the deal. But you have to be drivers humble. have big egos, and team owners and engineers do too, because that's why we're there. Because we just want to prove we're better. That's and, it, and, and that's that's but why there we're there. There has to be a certain level of humility to learn. You have to put your ego in check or you can't get it. You, or you won't get any better. Like you, you can sit there where you are and then it's just like F1. By the end of the season, those cars are, are two to four seconds faster than yeah. they were in the beginning of the season because yeah. they continue that development just ceaselessly. Why? Because the other teams are doing it yes. too and it's part of the process. So if you ever rest on your laurels or do any of that stuff, you're, you're simply going to be beat. Yep. And, um, and, it, and it, is, it is very intense, but it is amazing from the the sides of human performance where you can see human beings 
really performing well, whether it's mentally yeah. uh, with engineering, whether it's physically with a tech working on a car yeah. uh, that's getting a change done very accurately, like guys that can put a car on it and scale it and be fast about it. And, yeah. and you trust that that car rolls yes. off those scales with exactly the setup Yes. that you wanted to have on the car. Like and when you drove the car with me, I used to go do the setup with the guys, remember? I yeah, used to yeah. I all the measurements myself because that crew in, in that particular time as a new team was not very accurate with their measurements. Yeah. And they thought close enough was okay. And yeah. I was making them split like half millimeter on this and a quarter millimeter there. And they go, really? That makes a difference. That really makes a difference. And, and they kept giving me the car I didn't think I had. And it yeah, didn't and I wouldn't give the feedback. And it didn't and make any sense. And then he's like, sense. it doesn't make sense. So it turned out we put the car on the scales and we're like, ah, it's not where we thought it yeah, was, right? Yeah. So yeah, so if you have a, really, a, like a good, really good loop there, if you have a really good crew that can really nail it, and I have a, one of those crews right now, yeah. Steve Freeth is my crew chief, and I got a bunch of great guys in the team, been with me a long time. And I give it to him. I know I'm going to get it back when I want. And and when they give me back the setup sheet, if there's a, if there's a slight error in the measurement, because sometimes you can't always hit the number, they'll tell you what the error is. Yeah, you know, they'll, they'll fill out the form to give back to you. Look, I tried and tried and tried. Yeah. This is off a quarter millimeter. I'm yeah. sorry. That's the best I could if do. If I had more time, I could have maybe got yeah, it. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and that's important, too. So it's not just the engineer and the driver. It's also the team. And it's also the drivers working together. If, yeah. if you can't put your ego in it's check team. and you can't work as a team player, yeah, it's a team. It, it, you, you can't win. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, that's the truth. It's, that's the truth in a business. Like you couldn't, you can't think of where this doesn't apply. You could apply this in a very strange way, but that's a relationship too. Because uh, this is all relationships that we're talking yes, about. And yes. it's human beings. And that, yes. that kind of like, so let's talk a little bit about driving. You've been driving a very long time. Very long You've time. raced a lot. Like, again, not a lot of people, I think, realize that, yeah. that how much racing you've done as a driver and yep. engineering your own cars yep. pretty much the whole time, right? Yeah. And, um, and so... The driving side of it, to me, obviously, was it's more like literally between Michelin and the stuff I've done with Michelin and the things I've done with you has woken me up and taught me the engineering side of, of being a racing driver. Yeah. And so that was a, an education that was brilliant because it, it, it kind of completed me in a way, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm always learning, but to, to kind of see things through your eyes and, and hear your priorities and then Michelin is also similar the way they operate, a massive French corporation, but but kind of brilliant uh, as far as their incredible tires. They're the, the best tires in the world. Still, yeah, their day. engineering and their research and development and everything that they put into it, um, they do things because it makes the tires better. If that were their phrase, um, th they literally work operate like that. They'll spend any amount of money for that and go into crazy directions tremendous there. amount of pride yeah and tr tremendous, tremendous pride but but pride. they're but they're learning they're yep. they're an r&d company they're not a marketing company like yep. you know most companies they either put their money in in trying to sell product that they're copied from someone else or or you have maybe one or two innovators in any field and michelin's an innovator in the tire I space way too much money in r&d yeah and you're, have, that's so. what i'm saying you're the same you're the same i, I could be twice as so, rich if i didn't care so much about that's, winning that's <laughs> it that's it and you would have had you know a 16th as good a product as right. you as you do and the results that you have because that's who makes you you and that's why you win right and that's why i've always like being associated with you whenever I can, because I know that means that I'll win, you know, and, and that's why we're all in this. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah. So, so as a driver, you know, and, and uh, understanding all of that, and, and like I said, from, from Michelin side, from, from your side, uh, and from other teams that I've run with, but you've always stood out to me because you've, you know, you, in a way kind of took me under the, your wing and taught me, and I'll always appreciate that. And, and so that's where, like, from a driving perspective, we can show up and, you know, the, the old, and <laughs> happens to be a French guy. I remember the cartoon. <laughs> I am going to get a lot of hate mail. <laughs> Sorry, Nico, one of my best friends who's French and Brazilian I have a lot of and French. really good. That's fine. And that's you know, yeah. My last name is French, it's Dinan. It, but yeah, I, it's, you, you know, but that doesn't, that doesn't. Mine could be Gerard, but it's English as Gerard. So we're, yeah, we're all, but, we're all but, fighting but against the But the point has nothing to do with him being French. He just happened to be. It just happened to be. <laughs> he just happened to yeah. be. <laughs> they okay. happened to all be. I mean, that guy. So, so he was a frustrating person to work with because he was very fast and he was very talented, but he had so much ego it constantly got in the way. Yeah, and, know, and and that and, and that's, that's it. It's like he's not thinking about a good finish over the twenty four hour. That would have been a byproduct. He was concerned with over the twenty four hours at the end of the day him be, him being the fastest driver. Yeah, I mean that was his concern. And he was of, quick and he won a lot of races. Yeah, uh, and, and there, there's a super talented guy and fifty percent like that probably. Yeah, yeah, that are that are really good. You yeah. know, that are really fast. They're they're very selfish, and that's kind of can be their... And honestly, and it's a problem with human beings in general, whether you're an actor or you're a musician sure. or a race yeah. car driver. When everybody keeps telling you're great all the time, sooner or later you believe it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then your ego gets out of control. One of the great things my wife always does for me, she always keeps my ego in check. That's part of the reason I've been married 40 years. As soon as I get too full of myself, she'll let me know. I've, I've seen it. Yeah, and, and that, that's seen fantastic. It. And I'm, I'm, the, <laughs> you know, I'm the same way. Yeah. She's like, you may think you're all that in a bag of chips, but <laughs> you'll always be my idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a little humble. Oh, and she puts her arm around me. Helps. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's it's tough love, yeah. right? Right. But but yeah. that's but that's the way. So, But we all need a little bit of that. We though. do. We, we do. all need a little bit of that. <laughs> we do. We need that. So so humility is important, right, To yeah. on, any, on any aspect of this. So the idea is to have a very high skill set, yeah. but still be humble and someone that can work yeah. within the team and, and not have that big ego. I also believe that you always have something to learn. Well, that's I, the humble I, I, part. I, I learned something last weekend. Of I mean, I, I'm, I've been doing this for 43 years, and I still go to the racetrack every weekend. It's rare that I don't learn something, Yeah, you, which you sh- makes it fun. It would be <sighs> shocking. I mean, it would be disappointing. And you weren't paying enough attention in a yeah. way, right? If you yeah. didn't, because there's always something. Yeah. And and again, the, the the thing that always like the stick that gets beat against us that we we motivate ourselves with is that we're paranoid because we know there are other smart people out there. Yeah, there, there are other good drivers, there are other good engineers, there are other well-funded teams. And if we don't pick up on something, we know they will, and yeah. they'll use it to beat us. Yeah. And so we have this kind of crazy obsessive. Yeah. is a good word. Yeah. Uh, and I, I call that sort of paranoia healthy paranoia because it's not unhealthy. Like there's paranoia where it's unrealistic and you're just imagining demons under your bed. That's that's unhealthy, right? But, yeah. but if it's a, a paranoia where I don't know what that other team does, but I know they're very competent, yeah. then you're imagining 
as your paranoia, like them outworking you and outthinking you and outperforming you. And so that's what I'm talking about. And what by I'm the way, saying. That, that level of competition will drive you to try harder of to be course. better. Of course. I mean, in 20, we won the championship in 19, and then we back to 2020, and there was a new team called uh, Core who switched from Mustang to an Aston Martin. And right. the Aston Martin had seven miles an hour top speed on the Audi, seven miles an hour. We were at Mid Ohio. We were in, we were in a battle with the championship and neck and neck in the points the whole whole year. We got to Mid Ohio, and they were on the pole. And we were second. In a in a two hour race, we literally probably in a half an hour green running time had a half a lap on third place. And Lee Diffie and, and Calvin Fisher on the TV going, well, we normally have two classes today. We have three. <laughs> we have the Aston Martin and the Carbon Audi. We have the rest of the GS cars, and we have TCR. Because <laughs> we were just in, a, in another zone. I mean, one, the car was just completely dialed because we'd just done such a good job the year before with the car, and we were just handling really well. And they showed up with a ton of power, but the car didn't stop and handle as well as ours. And so the lap times were very similar. Um, Jeff wound up passing him four times in the first race, only to get passed back four times down the back straightaway because right. so yeah. speed. And we still finished second. Right. And we finished second in the championship. This is this is where the BOP is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the old days, we just go to the dynamometer and we'd solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right? But now but you can't touch it. Now you can't touch everything. the engine. Yeah. They sealed everything. Yeah. So unless the sanctions, unless body, the BOP changes, unless the BOP changes, yeah. nothing you can do. We spent the entire year. Yeah. We won some races. They won some races. And in the end, we wound up second. It, it could have gone the other way if just one of us would have had bad luck. Yeah. Uh, but 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 they were so fast, and we had such a good handle on the car. We even though it was the second or third year with the car, we kept pushing with the setup, pushing with the setup, and pushing with the setup until the car still was getting faster. On the so are season. you complaining about BOP with the sanctioning body the whole time, and you're making your car faster? Yes. Yeah. So that that's another <laughs> well, that's another important point <laughs> yes. to make, right? Because there are teams that will just kind of like you know, cry a lot and not engineer the car. You can't wait for them to solve you, you your problem for wait. you. You cannot wait. <laughs> you cannot wait. So that, that's another important lesson, though, yes. right? Is like yes. you attack on all fronts. You have to. 100% all the time. Yes. So what, how would you describe to me your, what would be the ideal driver you would work with? What, what, would, what would be their skill set? And well, we talked about it a little bit. I mean, obviously the clear person has to be as fast as anyone out there. That's right. a given. They, that, but there's a lot of drivers that are really fast that are still terrible to work with. Yeah, yeah, as we just discussed. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, the other thing is important. They have to be friendly. Like, we, we have a really happy team. And I and I work really That's hard. That's kind of cool to hear, actually. No, I, or nice I, to hear. And I like having a happy team. If I have any person, I don't care if it's a crew chief, a target. You're there driver, to have fun, basically. But, it, know, but it's I'm work. I'm a serious competitor, but I, yeah. want, I want to work in a collaborative way like I don't want to use the word party, but 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 but, but like <laughs> all but, right. But, but like you really want to be with these people, and you really yeah. want to be here. You're not just doing it because it's a job. Yeah. And when you get one person who's disruptive or has a bad attitude, for sure, it brings the whole team down, and then the team can't win. And you have to, even if that person has a lot of skill, you have to get rid of them. Yes. You have to get rid of them. That's a, that's an important poison. point. Like a rotten apple, as they say, right? Yeah. yeah. So you have to have a driver that's really quick. He has to be really a nice person. Yeah. Okay. And he has to be good at, at telling you what the car is doing and being able to differentiate what he did, like we talked about earlier, and what the car is doing. And, yeah. and he also has to be honest enough to tell you that he's not getting it. Yeah. Or her. I've never worked with so a the humility driver, thing again. but yeah. but 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 uh, 
because uh, there's not very many of them. I, out you there. know, I've worked I've worked with a few just lately, and they're getting good. I know a lot better. Uh, yeah, I've got. I've, there's there's one that uh, well, opportunities is finally gotten to the point. Yeah, there there's there's enough of them in the pool now that we're starting to see some real talent, yeah. and that's really cool. It is really it's cool. really cool. I, I would argue that, and I'm not trying to be sexist here, that that men have a little bit because of our testosterone. Yeah, but that, that, that work, can work drive. against us, too. No, it sometimes. can work yeah, against yeah. us, absolutely. Yeah, In fact, can work a, against I'm a pilot, as you know. Yes, you've yes. You've written an airplane I, with me. And, and uh, I think it was the FAA, or uh, maybe it was the NTSB, I can't remember, did a survey of, of female and male pilots and or which one's a better pilot. And what they found was that men typically have better stick and rudder control. That's like car control. Right. But women make better decisions. <laughs> Shocking. When it comes to bad weather and <laughs> exactly. things like that. <laughs> I can definitely get my Cessna over that 40,000-foot storm. <laughs> right, right, yes. Not a problem. So their, their, their <laughs> conclusion was there should be a man and a woman in every cockpit, which I thought was <laughs> very good for different reasons, right? I mean, Yeah. <laughs> my mind went somewhere completely different. But regardless of how we all pretend to be the same, we are wired a little different. Yeah, we're, we're we wired, wired a little different. different. With, with, with pros strengths and cons. And strengths and weaknesses. Strength. Yeah. Right. Everything's a compromise. Everything's a compromise, yeah. yeah. So that it's, got, it's kind of... It's kind of interesting. So, so they have to have. So you're saying they have to have the skill set. So the skill set, and then all I'm going to credit, and I think you know him. You know, you know Peter Cunningham, right? Petey Cunningham. Oh, I know Pete really well. So yeah. Petey, Petey was very much. I, I used to do software for Petey back in the day. Oh, there you go. Oh, uh, when Petey, he won several championships. That's back that. And, yeah, that points a finger I, at you. I, I had a contract. Limitations out on that. I had a contract with Honda. Right. And okay. I, and I did all the Honda-powered cars in the old SCCA World Challenge. He just happened to be racing Hondas. So I didn't do it specifically for him. I did it for Honda. Cool. Yeah. So 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 <laughs> Pete. Yeah. Exactly. So Petey is is um he's a very methodical driver. Yeah. I don't know how much you 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 know him. Yeah. Um, he was a guy that was with me at Skip Barber, uh, and took me out and and in a car like in a road car and he's like I just want to see what you can do and I I went out and drove and he was just like okay he like he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna help you. Because that was really cool. You're what you did, yeah. <laughs> and worthy. I was like, okay, that's awesome. And he actually, he and Boris said, got me in a car at Sebring, and they, they would I raced against. Boris. Yeah, and they would, they would, you know, they would recommend me to someone that didn't know me in a team. So he was really cool. But I learned a lot from him. So a lot like what you did on the engineering yeah. side, PD did for me on the driving side. Just that it taking me from like a raw, stupid, naive but fast kid, and telling me what it would take to be a professional, right? And so one of the things that he gave me, I thought was really cool, and I've used it ever since. Sorry, Petey, I guess I, I do give you credit. I'm doing it right now, actually. Um, but he told me that, um, think of like a, a driver is like having a bunch of, uh, like having a, a file folder of a bunch of different corners. And, and this thing, you're just stuffing with information. And basically, it's sort of like, you know, when you go to a new racetrack, and you've never driven around it before, you're like, oh, this corner's like that corner of the track I have been to. And so you kind of find your familiarity with a new track by relating it to an old track, right? Yeah. And so the folder just keeps getting stuffed with more and more stuff. Yeah. And, and basically, you're, you're getting an operating window that's growing. And this operating window is your ability to compensate for things the car is doing. Yep. So it's it's understeer or oversteer in the three phases of a corner, right? It's, it's, before we had simulators it's, too, it, by the way, so you had to go learn the racetrack didn't by driving. Didn't have that, yeah, <laughs> yes. so you had to do it. So yeah, that, that's a, sh a shortcut and a half now, yeah, right? Yeah, so is, like yeah. one session, you're like, I'm good. Yeah, Where yeah. before it was like all the way up to qualifying, you're like, I've kind of got it, you know? Yeah, you're still learning. I'm still not quite flat through the kink, but I'll, I'll be there in qualifying, right? And uh, <laughs> you know, it, was, it was like that. So, so I thought that was always a great way to think of it where it's this skill set of, of balancing a car. So you go out in the, in, the, in the car and your job as a driver 
is to drive the car at the limit. So that means, yeah, to get to full throttle as soon as possible coming out of the corner. The next brake zone, you're braking as late as you can. You're braking at 100%. You're nice and degressive on your braking, so you're not leaving anything on the table. You're doing this beautiful trail brake to whatever the car needs to kill understeer on the way into the corner and have it perfectly balanced and rotate ever so slightly and point efficiently in the corner so we can get to that all-important power application down to, down to full throttle as quickly as possible with our hands straight because we've done a majority of our turning and we're firing the thing off the corner. We had a well-balanced car the whole way through because of what Steve did as an engineer, but also as what we did as a driver. And we have that timeline of steering input and then out for the corner and then the brake application to the brake release to the throttle application are kind of like two timelines. And we're sort of shifting them one to the other where we can, we can drag the brake in further if the car doesn't want to turn. We can release the brake sooner if the car loves to turn, right? We can do all sorts of different things and all of that is, is kind of optimizing the car in a slow corner where it tends to want to understeer more versus a fast corner where typically they tend to want to oversteer more. And you, you've got all of these little variables. So, so that's what a driver's doing, right? We're, we're trying to perfectly balance the car based on a really good setup. But as we said earlier, that setup won't be perfect in every corner. No. And to me, it's all those other corners where the, the driver earns their keep. No, like we always need a little bit of help. Like, I mean, modern race cars, production cars at least, which is what I race, always have, uh, are very pitch sensitive because of the splitters and stuff on there. Right. There's so much surface area on top of the body. Right. Um, that, that a driver can overwhelm the front end on entry. Yeah. By carrying the brake too long and have not turned, sure. he, can, he can drag the brake lightly and pin the nose and have it have it an oversteer because he's pitched the car down so much in the front, or he can come out of the brakes just the right time to let the nose come up just enough to achieve that perfect balance to roll into the center of the corner. And I can't fix that in every single corner. Right. I, I can make That's it generally it. better or worse. Yes. And this corner is going to be a little bit better, and this corner is going to be a little bit okay. worse. And I can arrive at a very good compromise for the weekend. But unless you help me. Yes. Okay. That's it. So, Unless you help me, I can't, I can't make it perfect in every corner. Would you like a driver to go out and feel, they'll feel that oversteer, right? Now, now maybe they pit right away and go, uh, by the way, I never did say it. What I was going to say about the French driver was, <laughs> there's a cartoon, <laughs> there's a cartoon where he says, the car is sheet, S-H-E-E-T, because it's in a French accent. And he just throws his helmet to the ground. And he just walks to his trailer. That okay. was my example. Okay, right. So this is like an old rate, you know, one all of those right. ones in the back of Autosport. It's really funny. And you're like, that's really funny. They sell those cartoons in the back of the Autosport magazine, but they probably still do. Uh, yeah. but, um, but anyway, that, that was Do my I point. Still print magazines so, anymore? Yeah, they, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Remember I was standing at the newsstand and just reading them all. Yes, exactly. I, I, when I was young, I, I had a subscription to that to, and tried to teach myself German by reading Automotor and Sport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was hard work. How'd that work out? <laughs> I spent years, like, one page at a time looking it up. You could just point your phone at it and it would translate I know. Well, the whole see, page There was no that. You had to actually go look it up an English-German uh, English translation dictionary and then it didn't have technical Was that when the spokes were wooden on the wheels? <laughs> no, we still we had metal wheels. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so back 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 to PD and the and the so would you would you like the driver first to compensate for that and then drive the car as well as they can, mm -hmm. or would you like him to come in and tell you right away? 
uh, I would like him to try and compensate for that. And then tell you it's and there. And then tell me I can't compensate enough and here's what I need help with. Perfect. So I think that's a, that's a good way to put it, right? So so here we have... But I'm helping him and he's helping me. Yes. It's a group But he's effort. tried his tools. Yes, he's tried his tools. So he's gone into his little folder, the PD folder, and he's looked at this type he's of corner. run out of files. And he's... Exactly. <laughs> yes. So so here's, here's kind of the cool... So here's how this all ties together. So this is kind of fun because we're getting there through engineering, which is neat. Yeah. But so there's this magical thing called yes. flow, right? It's yeah. when when a driver's in the zone and they're driving completely subconsciously because everything the car is doing is not surprising them. It's within the parameters in the folders. Yes. So that's where we want to end up, right? When the car is amazing, yes. the driver is simpatico. Yes. yes. And you can drive the car and think about what you're having for dinner. Actually, what you're really doing is contemplating racecraft consciously yes. because we're only able to do one conscious thing at the time at a time but subconsciously we can do a zillion things walking requires over 600 muscle firings just walking and you learned every muscle firing as a toddler one at a time yes right which is why it takes a long learn how to walk exactly right? same thing when so, a driving a race car so that's what we're doing we're ingraining information in our file cabinet thank you again pd I think I've thanked them enough times and now. Yeah, but I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep it. But so and and you have enough in there so that and the really simple way to think of it is you're not surprised. The car doesn't surprise you. Everything it does, you just simply fix and you compensate for. And and then you come in and then this is when Steve from our first podcast goes and ruins all of it because he found you more grip on one end. <laughs> yes. And you start this process again. Yes. But see, that's what I really wanted to nail down, right? Yes. I wanted to talk about this. Yes. Like we're drivers and we're very subjective and we do everything by feel. Yes. The car has to feel right. It can't scare me. It has to have an operating window that I can I can actually deal with. That, that you have to manipulate the, the attitude the way you want it to. Always. The tools it's that you a have. tool. Yes. Yeah, so I want, I want that that perfect turn in. And what I'm trying to do as a driver is I'm trying to be very efficient. So that's always the word that it's just start off with. And I think people start with fast, but I think if efficient, fast is a byproduct of efficient, right? If I'm using the car well, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm making it turn efficiently. I'm balancing it correctly. And what that means is uh, uh, just a simple premise there. If you ever have understeer or oversteer, it's not the limit of the car. You have the car out of balance. Like at that moment, like if it understeers, you didn't have enough load on the front at that moment. If it oversteers, you didn't have load on the rear at that moment, right? So, so the, or you're rolling in the throttle too quickly because that could also cause oversteer in that particular instance. Or understeer. Or understeer, or, right? Yeah. So, that's so, what makes it so much fun. That's I can do either it. one. Yeah, right? so, you're sort of so you're sort of chasing. But the thing is, it's like the, the real limit of the car is when all four wheels, and then you're like, all four wheels slide. You're like, that's as quick as it'll go through here. You know, that's that's kind of the limit, but that's the perfectly balanced limit where the car has the load exactly where it needs to yes. be front to rear and and you're carving it into the corner on yeah. Steve's or someone hopefully that's one tenth as good as Steve, which would be really good, is setting up your car nice and you're and you're carving that thing through the corner. So so that's the role of the driver. The whole time you're thinking ahead. So and, and as I suggested, this whole car, the car is being driven at its at its limit, right? very, very precisely at its limit without big understeer or oversteer moments. Uh, and it, at the same time, you're consciously working on beating everybody. So now you're dealing with your racecraft and you're, and you're manipulating, because that's what racing is. It's pure manipulation of these people you probably in most cases like, except for that one guy that, that his nationality has nothing to do with why you don't like him. Um, but you, you generally, like respect, just generally respect other drivers, especially if they're fast. You're like, they earned their right to be here. 
So your job with, with the setup on the car that's hopefully a little gentler on the tires and you that's a little gentler on the car, you're, you're trying to figure out a way to, to weaken their position. You know, so, so you're trying to drive them a little harder. You're trying to throw them dummies and go a little inside or outside. You're doing all these things. And maybe there's one behind you trying to do the same thing to you. Maybe you're in a pack of 15 or 20 yes. going at any given moment. And that's where racing is just absolutely off the charts. Unbelievable. Now let's talk about the limitations of the driver feedback for a moment. All right. Okay. So as a driver engineer's perspective. All right. So if you have a car that understeers a lot, okay, you get to a certain angle at the steering wheel and the front end stops responding. Of course. Okay. If less, you less grip when you turn yes, more. Yes. So if you reduce the understeer, the steering wheel still goes to the same angle before it gives it up, but it still understeers. You're just going a higher mile per hour. Yeah. Okay. So you can look at the data and the data will show you the steering wheel angle the same. It'll show the under percentage change if you have an understeer or understeer yaw channel right. built into your data, which I always do. The only way you can tell is that the mile per hour went up or down. Yep. Lateral you, G, too. is Sometimes lateral G will mm -hmm. change a little if bit. If the mile per hour went up. Sometimes it won't even very much, or it's hard to tell the difference. Like, the lines are like right on top of each other. Um, and the driver feedback is it understeers. But he'll give you an understeer of a 4 or a 5, but then you'll reduce the understeer. It'll still be a 4 or 5. Reduce it again, it'll still be a 4 or a 5. And until you cross over to where it's oversteering, then, you don't then. actually know how much understeer you actually have. Yes. Same thing happens with oversteering car. Yeah. You can oversteer. I you think, can it, but a driver it. could figure that out if I've they had a sensitivity. I've never had a driver that can. Well, I. I <laughs> wait. Not trying to be insulting. He's had me as a driver. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> including myself. <laughs> including myself. I I don't uh, know. I mean, sometimes you'll get an inkling. Holy cow! This is terminal understeer. It's really bad. And so the hustles tell you that it's better and the car is going faster. But they don't really know how many steps you are away from the transition from understeer to oversteer. You can't feel that. I think, I mean, I think that you're going to try and kill it instantly. I'm going to try and but kill let's it. But with all your tools, it still understeers. Well, then, then, it's, uh, then, it's not a, then it's not a one or a two. No, it's a five. So like that's a, a scale. A yeah, the scale. <laughs> so we have a scale, right? So, so like if it's, if it's neutral, you'd say like it's at a zero, right? Yeah. So like, you know, we have, we have a one or two understeer means really mild understeer. So if you were to drive that car around a skid pad, it barely slides the front tires before the rear tires, barely, yeah. right? And then as you go up the scale to five, where now going around the skid pad, your front tires are, are, un, are at the cusp of understeer or understeer, and your rear tires are maybe like at 80% of their maximum grip, not at 99 like the understeer one. And we have the same scale for oversteer going in the other direction. Um, but you'll mostly see a mile per hour change and believe it or not, a tire pressure temperature change because it'll grind the front tires yeah. less. And that's but the data, see, that's the data you have angle, to work right? like too But much the problem is angle. when you get to a certain steering angle, let's call it 30 degrees, the tire goes over center and just washes out. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. So if a car understeers a lot, it will do that, and you and they reduce the understeer. Will, the speed will go up, but you'll still get the steering, same steering angle because the driver will keep adding steering wheel until nothing happens. Right. He'll get to the same angle, and when it gives up, he'll stop. Right. Because yes. I don't yes. feel anymore. Because I don't want to So you turn look at the anymore. steering angle, and the data and the steering angle is exactly the same. Yeah. He's okay. Just so going at higher speed. Now I <laughs> okay. understand. So as you're reducing understeer, he still it still looks the same from a steering angle, but you'll see the speed ticking up on the corner, meaning you're reducing understeer. Possibly a small change in lateral okay, G's. Okay. Cool. But, I'm but, with you now. But what always happens to me is, as this is an interesting point, is how I determined in, the, in, in recent years, I've, I've learned to determine track asymmetry this way. Like how much cross weight do I want? How much camber okay. split do I want in the car? So you're, you're playing, because you want to play with vertical load on that outside front no, to try and what kill. I'm, what I'm doing is, is I'm saying if, if, a tire, if a tire temperature on the outside is a lot higher than the inside, 
or the tire pressure has to start lower to get to the same hot running pressure. Right. The track has more asymmetry than I thought. Or if the tire pressures and temperature equal left and right has less asymmetry than I thought, and I will change my my crossweight camber split tilt of the car based on the tire pressure feedback. And I will That's also cool. use the tire pressure and temperature feedback and how much understeer go I have. <laughs> okay, because if it, one of the car is giving up a lot more of the other car, that car and will be hotter. And so what you'll do is all weekend long, you'll start with the cold tire pressure that gets you to a top target pressure, which is what right. you're after. Right. When if you have a handling problem, when you finally fix the handling problem, all your tire pressure notes are wrong. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. the end that was it's too making... hot is now cold. The end that was too cold is now absolutely. hotter. And then you have to. Yeah. And so sometimes you'll go into a race, you're going, well, I think I, I know think where I, fixed I am. It. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if I did, this is going to happen. And you'll be a half a pound or a pound off, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot in a race car. So then you'll have to, you'll have set two and set three. We'll have tire pressure monitoring on the car. On the big cars, we want to take away telemetry, so I can watch the tire pressure go up and down during the lap. That's also really interesting too, by the way. Yeah. If, before I had telemetry, I didn't realize how much how dynamic tire pressure was. But like the Lamborghini, for example, you think it's like gently just grows over a session and then, stays and then there. stabilizes. But no, it's Oh my God, uh, the Lamborghini has huge vents through the wheel well and big exits in the back, and it just flows a ton of air to the wheel well. The, the GT4 car doesn't do it as much because oh, right. it's, it's sealed like So a that made tire. a big difference in, in, oh my God. Tire, in tire temp and, and pressure. And, and, and down the straightaway, you would lose a pound and a half of pressure. So let's say optimal grip occurs at 26 and a half pounds, right. let's say, or 28, pick a number 28. Uh, you go down the straightaway, it goes down to 26 and a half. You, get, you turn into the corner, and it's actually too low for a maximum grip. Does yeah. it get to 28 when you get to the apex? Yeah. And so you'd okay. have complaining about turn into apex that you're scratching your head about, not really your tire pressure is just right. too low. Right. The car's great on the exit. Right. So what, right we're all, ought to be. what we're always doing is we want the tire pressure to hit the optimal number in the center of the corner. Yeah. Not get too hot by the exit, not be too exactly. cold on the entrance. Yeah. And 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 how much straight air do I have? And what is the So talk about corner phases. This oh is my interesting. God. Yeah, this is <laughs> yes. this is all yes. this just went complicated. Like I was, I was talking about chess and its four billion set yeah. moves. Now think about a formula car with open tires. Yeah, exactly. Right. So think cool how much a formula any car tire probably cools the tire down the straightaway. And they're always talking Intentionally. about, does it fire my tires up? Yeah, yeah. Hot, like the Ferrari fires its tires up really quickly. Yeah. But it, it overheats them and has exactly. bad tire dig. Good qualifying so, for a race. Right, right. And the, and the, and the um, Red Bull Mc seems to do both for yes. some reason. And the McLaren is like right. the Ferrari. And by the way, it has to do with up. how much air you're flowing around the tire. What is the mass of the wheel itself? How much air are you pumping through the wheel? Is the wheel cooling the tire I remember. that the brakes are heating up by? And it, it's... It's such a comp just that alone is such a complex equation. Exactly, you can spend your entire life on just that. They have they have ten engineers on that in a Formula One team. Yeah, I remember Mercedes. Yes, it, like uh, maybe like eighteen nineteen, but they they came up with a new ribbed uh, inner rib design. Right. Just for cooling of the right. tire. Yes. Not for the brake, like for the tire cooling. Yes. yes. I so mean, the heat transfers from the tire into the wheel, but also from the brakes into the wheel. Yes. Yeah. Right? And you can, yeah, use and it And then the air up. flows over the brakes and out the wheel, and it also flows over the bodywork and through the wheel well. Yeah. So you're cooling it from the center, and you're cooling it from the outside simultaneously. Yeah. And now in the tire pressure monitor, we also have a core temperature. So it tells you the temperature inside the tire. Right. Like, okay. like not, not surface right. temperature, but within. Right. And what's interesting, too, is we found that if you, you when we were qualifying back the same race at Mid-Ohio, I was trying to squeak a little bit of time to get the pole from the Aston Martin. Um, and I raised the tire pressure a lot in qualifying, so the pressure would be higher sooner because the tires were coming in, you know, pretty quick. But it turns out that I raised it so much that the core temperature wasn't up and the tires wasn't didn't have as much grip because the core temperature was low, even if the surface temperature was right. Right. Holy cow. 
Yes, okay. I mean that's. It's, it's, I mean, but that's that all. It all makes sense. It's just having the ability to to actually measure all of that yeah. and see trends. Yes. And then then you get strategies. Yes. That can that can anticipate but the, that. But the point we started with, and I kind of digressed on you, is is that sometimes there's things a driver can't see. Yeah. That the data can see. That's Some cool. kinds of things that, that the driver can see that the data can't. Trust the process. Sometimes they will agree with each other. Yeah. And sometimes it, yeah, they will disagree they with each other. And parsing through all that. Yeah. Uh, well, is, you, you just have to have a good relationship again to be able to get through that. That's why the relationship is so important. And the person has to be able so, to articulate. Yeah. And I was, I was saying, I, I did write a, a blog about this that, that's not in the book because there was like six or seven or eight things I thought about afterwards. But one of them was this thing I called passive overdriving where I just found a lot of drivers drive with mild understeer all the time and don't even realize it. They think that's like the limit. Mm -hmm. And you're, they're actually not getting to like right where the, the optimum slip angle yeah. is. They're actually getting a little bit over. Yeah. And they're, they hold there and they drive like that yeah. all, the time, all the time. All the time. And so, so that Lonzo. kind of, that was me. Well, well, a little Lonzo, bit. Lonzo likes a lot of understeer. And, I, 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 and uh, the interesting and what, so years Prost, ago. And so did Prost, and they were, they were drivers. There always have been drivers like that. You no, know, some drivers like a free car, some drivers like yeah. a tight car. I've always liked a tight car, and I find I can manipulate a tight car and get more lap time out yes. of it. Yes, if it's only number one. I'm so, going to talk one or two understeer, not talking exactly. four or five. Exactly, so let's talk, so, let's talk, let's hold on. Let's explain yeah. that for a second, because well, I think it's kind of cool. Let's back to Lonzo warming tires. All right, all right, because I love that, yeah. So the thing about that is, is like, so if you have this, you never want to design the car to be neutral, like like driving around the skid pad. It, you don't want it to be neutral unless your job is to go around feel. the skid pad. Well, and because that <laughs> yeah. car on trailing throttle or on braking is going to be very loose. Yep. And that car is going to be really difficult to race because the thing, like, you might be able to qualify with a car like that. And absolutely, actually, you can. You can qualify the car like that as long as you don't overheat the rears before the lap is over. That's going to be a really quick car. But racing is different because you get checked up in racing all the time mid-corner. So once you're in that pack, you're going to get suddenly slowed down. The driver is going to try and surprise you. And they're going to try and brake check you so they get a better run out of the corner. They're just going to kind of breathe in and roll out really quick. You know, especially on the last lap, you see a lot of things like this. If, if they know you're attacking, they're going to try and throw your rhythm off. Mm -hmm. Throwing your rhythm off means, means getting you to check up. And checking up means getting out of the gas or, or maybe adding a little bit of brake on the way in. And if your car is neutral, it's going to snap on you. If it snaps on you, that's going to cost you a lot of time. And that time is not worth it. So you try and set a car up with a sort of number one understeer. Maybe number two. I that, like a number two. He's a number two. I'm a more number one. No, you like a free car. That's, that's yeah. how we met, actually. Yeah. I, yeah. I watched him drive a car free, and I go, boy, I don't see how I can hang on to that thing. And he was blisteringly fast. And I, I said, I have to go over and meet him. So I went over and introduced myself. I said, that I, was I, how it started. That's how it started. I said, man, you've got some car control. And I'm you're wrong impressed. about your setup. I didn't say that. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. I did. I told you that. That car had like shit. And you go, yes, I agree. Yeah, it, it was terrible. Well, that car had so much. That car had number five understeer all yeah, the time. It did. And so it did. I, had I to, can tell I had that. To fling it sideways. And you were making a turn. And make it work. And, and I was impressed, somehow, by the way. Somehow we did well like that. But. But so that so so you want to have this mild understeer in the car and and see so the whole point of this number 1 or number 2 understeer is that you can make the car rotate with trail brake anytime you want it to. Yeah. But if you get checked up in a corner, it only goes from mild understeer to maybe neutral, not to oversteer. Yes. And then you don't have to give up corner speed because an important thing to remember, as soon as you go into counter steer, your overall car grip plummets. You've got less grip. 
If you just go to neutral, all four tires are still kind of pointing in the right direction. The slip angles are all working. The you're not losing corner speed until you go counter steer. Which is why significantly it's make a lot of small corrections in a corner instead of big when ones they're get, catch a when car. When they get really, <laughs> when they get small, we get to call them adjustments. Yes. If you make a lot of very really small yeah. adjustments to keep the car controlled in yaw, yes. you'll get a lot more speed and a lot less tire temperature. Bam. So that's that's, that's kind of why. That's the skill you learn because what amateurs yeah. do, or people don't have a lot of driving skills, they wait too long to make a correction. The correction's too big, and they're almost always behind the. It looks like a jagged line. Yes, like this is the limit. Or if you look at As a pro, the steering this. wheels, yeah, just looks like a sawtooth on a hacksaw. And, and to yeah, to right. a to a uninitiated or untrained eye, you're like. It does. It looks kind of boring, but to them, they're just carefully balancing yes. this car always at the limit. And by the way, Pruitt was amazing at what you're talking about. When he had a lead and someone was behind him and his tire deck was too high or he just didn't have enough pace, he was magical at protecting the inside, slowing the car in the apex, and getting in the throttle before the person mm -hmm. behind him so he could hold them off down there. And I've seen him do it for like a half an hour, an hour, where he kept somebody five car lanes behind yeah, for, him for, for, with yeah. just pure finesse. Yeah, just pure finesse. That's it. And Scott just Pruitt, and just frustrate. And then what he's do, what, what he'll do, he's just like frustrate you. You're like overdriving to try and make something happen, uh. and then you run your tires out in the process. Yeah. And then after that, he just drives away from yeah. you. you know? Phenomenal yeah. guy behind so, the wheel of a car, by the way. But um, hopefully, you're seeing some of the stuff we're talking about here with the driver and kind of the window they operate within. You know, we want them to have a great relationship with the engineer. They want them to be able to communicate with the car. They need to be a good test driver, which means when Steve needs to know when a change makes a difference, yeah. you need to do the same thing over and over again on those practice laps if you have the time to do that. And then when you're a race driver, that's when you change hats. And it's like all bets are off. It's just like we talked about in the first podcast where we're yeah. like, that's when we'll de-grip the wrong end of the car yeah. um, to make things just better for the race. Yeah. And that's the same time a race car driver will go, you know what? I'm going to drive around any problem now. We just yeah. need to have the best race we can have. Yeah. And so that's where the mentality changes during the race. We're trying to show up with the best, most precise, best handling car, the best compromise possible for this car, this race, this day, and then I'm gonna try and drive it as, as efficiently as possible. But then we get in the race, and of course, the car's constantly changing. Heck, we just described how the tire pressure changes through a single corner. Oh, so, so the car is set up and balance is always changing. Yeah. So we're always reaching into our file folder there, and we're compensating because, as we said on, on the prior podcast, you know, you're probably not going to have the same balance through a run. You never will, actually. You never will, no. So, so w our job as a driver is to optimize the car's balance as the tires go through their life. And you're yep. either wearing out front tires faster or rear tires faster in most cases, and therefore you're going to go from an understeering car to an oversteering car or vice right. versa. I'd like to talk about how the where the engine is placed affects that. But before I do that, I want to talk about Alonzo. Alonzo's warm up. So, so, so the most impressive back when Alonzo was world champion a long time ago. Right. Uh, I, I, I used days. to watch Benetton days. He used yeah. to watch him warm up tires. I don't know if you remember this. That car was such a cheater car. You know they proved all that, right? I don't know. I don't yeah. Care. Okay. It doesn't matter. They were very skilled people. But anyway. <laughs> He calls them very skilled. <laughs> this well, regardless guy. of what, what was in the car, I don't even know what he's talking about. But Alonzo would do this thing where when you when you lightly accelerate with a mid-engine or rear-engine car, you have a lot of weight over the rear wheels of car understeers, mm -hmm. right? And he would drive around the warm-up lap before the start of race with slight throttle. And, and he's just locking the wheel back and And forth. the reason he would do this is when you have a front-engine or rear-wheel, we have a rear-engine or mid-engine car. Yeah. The rear tires will heat up faster in the front because you're applying power yeah. with them. And it's hard to get the front tires lit. And when the when the race starts, you now have an understeering car Absolutely. and three or four people pass yeah. you. So what he would do is he would force temperature to the front tire. 
Yeah. If you even to this day, when a race turns green, he always makes a move. You notice how many positions he makes up, even if he has the exact same yeah. car as his teammate. He, he's the guy he, with the warmest front tires on the grid. He always makes up more positions every restart than everyone else. There's hardly a time he Great doesn't start where he doesn't pass somebody only because he gets the front tires lit more than yeah. I believe. I've never talked to him. You I don't the, know you him. Remember the DAS system? It's just an observation on my part. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's true. I remember him doing that. <laughs> yeah. Go go watch uh, YouTube videos of, of him doing yeah. that. There probably are. And that's just to get the front tires hot. So when the race starts, the front ones are almost as hot as the back ones. So when you come to the first corner, the car yeah, will turn. Exactly. Then you don't have to overslow. Which you see him run wide, turn one all the time. Yeah. You remember the DAS system Mercedes had like three years ago? Yeah, yeah. So the, the steering wheel that went yeah, in yeah, and out, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it changed the front toe. Yeah. So they could just grind the front yeah, tires along. That was along the point of that. Yeah. To warm up and the he front would just tires. Do it by just doing this. And it was great because yeah. because those cars, the the Mercedes was really gentle on its tires, which meant yeah. long runs. It was super. It's like everything you could ever want, but it took forever to warm its tires up. Yeah. So that was a problem. So the DAS system was a way to put heat in the front yeah. tires because yeah, you can easily heat the rears just by lighting them up. Yeah, uh, but that was like a, a clever anti-Alonso no, solution. I mean, uh, but but I mean, I'm, it works, I'm, right? I'm a big Alonso fan. I always oh, have I, been. I like him too. I, just, I like him too. He's yeah. not so good out of the car. He like tends to make everyone angry. I heard he that. He hops from I've team to team that. to team to team. But, but, he, but brilliant he's got driver. mad skills. Brilliant driver. So brilliant let's talk driver. about weight distribution, how it affects setup. If you don't, I mind love that. For a second, okay. Well, this is, we're supposed to be talking about drivers, but go ahead. I know. You but really want to do this? Has to do with the fact with the driver as well. Okay. So if you have a front engine car like a BMW, and I spent a lot of time with those in the last few years, I've raced Audis and Lamborghinis and mid engines. They have significantly different characteristics and require a different setup. Yes, of course. Yes, and 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 this may be obvious, but front engine cars have a tendency to understeer yeah. a lot more, uh, and they have a tendency not to put power down as well. Yes. Okay, particularly on corner entry understeer, and then power exit oversteer. Yeah. Okay, and mid-engine cars have a tendency to oversteer on corner entry. Yes. And understeer on corner exit. Yes. Yes. And, and let's, let's <laughs> let, let, well, you can, you can, we can go even more basic and say, ideally, because you can look at Formula One cars or prototypes or any purpose-built race cars, and the ideal weight distribution is usually somewhere within a couple of percentage points of 45, 55. Um, yeah, I front agree to, with front that. to rear. Some people that's say the 60, best. 40, but I believe well, 45, no, that's, 55. That's what 911s are. And, yeah, and, but that's and, also has a lot of not, power moment as well, though, the engine's so far back. But, but the problem with that is they're demons under braking, yep. and they're demons putting power down, but they're damn slow to the apex. Yes. So, so, and so hard, that's what you're kind of... hard to slow yourself down. And what's weird is, if I could digress here for a second about track day cars, a lot of customers buy GT3 Porsches for track day cars. Yes. You know. Because they have the money. Oh, that reminds and, and me. We Porsches need to talk about really stability cool. control too. I want to talk and, about and, that. And 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 Porsches is a coveted race yeah, car company. Yeah, great, and they build great cars. But honestly, they are hard cars to drive fast because of the engine location. And you Cayman get, GT4. Yeah, mid-engine. Yeah, I'm handles better right now. No, it doesn't. You're not super. Yeah, that's I'm right. Not, he just finished a, with those. I'm not a fan. Hey, uh, we um, haven't talked about it. New race car. Coming. Yes, yes. Talk about yeah, your new race yeah, car. Yeah, we, we're switching from, the, we went, we ran the Audi for a few years in Lamborghini, then we switched to a Porsche came in. One of my sponsors like Porsche, so we bought one. We bought mm -hmm. three of them, actually. It's kind uh, of BOP, though, isn't it? The, why you didn't like it? No. Okay. No. You want to you give any more yeah, insight? I don't want to say anything bad about Porsche, but let's put it this way. <laughs> they, 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 it's too much of a street car, not enough of a race okay. car. And they didn't, because it was Porsche, in my opinion, they didn't need to do anything. And do they, they BOP it to competitiveness? Yeah. Yes. If if it were at the right weight, the car would be competitive. Right. And and we actually almost finished third at the first race, but we had a tire failure, and and 
and some, and uh, some other Porsche finished second. So the car can be competitive. The, the, the BLP can always be adjusted up and down to make an A car competitive. It just has a lot of things about it that make it difficult from a raceability standpoint. Because yeah, as we were describing, like turning a road car into a race car, this is sort of that same topic. Yes, they where it, it isn't as adjustable as you'd like or as user friendly as you'd the like. The BMW folks went through all the things that made the street car not a good race car and made it into a race car, and the Porsche goes, well, it's a Porsche, we don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a perfect, I think that's a perfect summary. I'll just I'm, give you one it's little. It's probably 100% accurate. i just give you one little example. It's nothing about the performance of the car. It's a, it's a fun car. They have the radiators in the, in the front corners. Yes. Okay. And every time you touch somebody, touch anything, it springs a leak. Touch anything. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I, you couldn't, it'd be very you difficult to win a championship race. because every race there's a portion of DNFs because of a water leak in the front of the car. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you know what BMW did? They put push bars around the radiator. That's steel. impossible to do on a Porsche because they're perfect as they come from the factory. I know. And so if you hit somebody <laughs> with a BMW, it knocks them out of the way and it doesn't damage the radiator. But not only that, they attach the radiator to the push bar. So the push bars bend and moves the radiator out of the way. Okay. This doesn't mean the BMW is a better car than the Porsche. That's not what I'm Sounds trying to like say. That's what he's saying. Okay, what I'm saying is, <laughs> when you have cars that are this close, yeah, and that's the problem with BLP racing is the cars are super close. You can't get a giant advantage. You can get a few tenths as best you can do if you're doing a really good job. So right? they're they're going to run into each other while racing. At some racing. point, you're gonna mm -hmm. you're gonna rub, and yeah. you want a car that will rub and keep its alignment, which and not lose the water out of its cooling. And not system. lose the water out of cool. That's the other thing is the BMW can bounce it off stuff you put it back in the setup. They still have, BMW still have the tow links issue or are they nope, okay? That's all been solved. That's good because that so was a it issue. was a problem with the old, but that's all fixed. So if you can take a BMW, you can whack it into something, put it on the setup pad, and it's still straight. Oh, you touch anybody with the Porsche, the alignment in the corner weights are off. Yeah. So the problem is your competitors know that the car is vulnerable. At yes. Contact. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, that, I've so, certainly seen. Been so the they hit the you victim on purpose just to take yeah. you out. And yeah. so the Porsche could be a phenomenal race car if Porsche made it more raceable, more robust, and more yeah, more durable. Yeah. And it just isn't. Now that's also part of the reason it's really fun to drive. It's light. Yeah. It's super light, and they don't want to add a lot of mass to it yeah. to make it more durable. But because it's light, it's fragile. Yes. So, I mean, and that's another compromise, right? Yes. So it's just my crew has named it the Play Doh car. Because <laughs> every time you bump it, it, it moves. <laughs> They're not a fan. It's not what you want. Because in a race we have car. an entire truck worth of parts. That's the other problem with the Porsche. It's just very expensive to race. All the parts are expensive because it's Porsche parts. Yeah. Uh, and the car needs a lot of parts because it's constantly being bent. Yes, and they and, make and, money and, off those radiators. Yes, so. and so you're spending thousands of dollars a day fixing little things that honestly you should be able to just race and not have to fix. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's perfect. You know, so, so so you've uh, got two new GT4s, uh, one right now uh, that two, are two BMW, more on the way. and they're they're based on the M4, M4? Mm -hmm. two wheel drive, and that's in Michelin Pilot Cup. Michelin Pilot, yeah. And uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge, Michelin GT4. Pilot Challenge yeah. GT4 cars. Yeah, yeah. So we're so racing cool. this year, and they're debuting in a couple weeks at, at Indy. In Indy, at the Brickyard. Yeah, cool. So well, we're luck. actually we still have the Porsche, so we're racing the Porsche with a, a second. Oh, okay. Pair of drivers, and then the, my primary driver has been in the championship the whole year, switching to the BMW for the last two. And he gets rounds. to keep points and all that. Because yeah, I heard you allowed, say that with the core when they switched to the Aston to Martin. You're allowed to change uh, cars once a year, manufacturers once a year, and keep your points. That's pretty cool. So you can't have five cars and pick the best car that weekend because, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why they had to make the rule. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because of is that a Steve rule? No, that's a that's a, a level five rule. <laughs> oh, that would Scott be a Tucker. level. That would be a level five rule. Yeah, yeah. So, Money is so no object. In the old days, if you were rich enough, and this is a disadvantage for poor people, uh, which I usually <laughs> was as a race car driver, was a me poor person. Me too. Because I used to still I used to build my still own race cars. Build my own engine, set them up, and drive them myself because I, I, all I had was a dollar ninety-five, and I wanted to go racing. Right? <laughs> I couldn't afford all the career. No. Right? That's why I learned so much. 
Uh, but people used to buy multiple cars, and if this car was faster at this racetrack, sure. race this one, and this racetrack, this racetrack, and if you're rich enough to have three or four race cars, well, now you have to race the same car all year, and you're allowed to change one time, right. but you can't change back. Okay. So it's a permanent that's change. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And that way, if you just decide you lost your sponsor, or you have a sponsor that likes a certain car, yeah. and you just decide you hate this car for whatever the reason might be, we think the Porsche is a fantastic car, but we're, we're switching because we think the raceability of the BMW is better, yeah. and it's difficult to win a championship in the Porsche. So we were talking about... The BMW, and you were saying that it's more prone to understeer. We were talking about weight distribution. Yeah. So you want to finish your thought on Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've raced a lot of BMWs. I've raced BMWs for 34 mm -hmm. years, and then I got into prototype cars and, and then, and then um, uh, Lamborghinis and Audis and Porsches. Right. Uh, but I learned how to race a BMW, and it was good for me because I, I, was not, I didn't start at 8 years old in a go-kart. I right. started 20, Same here. I started 29 years old right. as a race car driver. I started at 24, so yeah, okay. I was bad. You were worse. <laughs> yeah. and, and what I liked about the BMW was, is first of all, they have really good feel, but they're also super benign on the limit. Like, they right. understeer a little bit when you lift off gas, they understeer a little bit less. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, which, which, is, up, which is an, uh, kind of a nice thing, because it makes them easy. Easy to drive. Yeah, really easy. Uh, they don't, they don't put down power popular. well. Right. Uh, as, as the managed car. So you have to carry a lot of entrance speed. You mm -hmm. carry a lot of apex speed. And where they really dominate or where they're really strong, I guess dominate is not the right word, is fast corners. Yeah. Because the front weight distribution makes the car stable like a like a dart. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when you're in a high so speed. good high speed stability. Super good high speed stability. You can roll apex speed at high speed like it will blow your mind. Like when I used to race, I used to race against Price Cobb and Elliott Forbes yeah. Robinson. You probably recognize yeah, those yeah. names. Um, and also uh, David Murray. Yeah, I know him really well. Actually. Uh, and uh, Marl Baldi, and those are my guys back in, yeah. my, in back in my day. And they then they were all in Porsches, and I was in a BMW. And Price Cobb's a famous race car driver. Won the yeah. Law, Daytona, yeah. good friend of mine. We're the same age. Um, he would kill me on the brakes, and I go, "How does he stop that way?" But then I would catch him on the apex. Yeah. of every corner. I got him. I'm going to pass him down the straight. But then he put down twice as much power as me yeah. and pulled four more car lanes on the exit of the corner. I go, no, I'm not going to pass him down the other straight. And this was every single lap. So I spent... Yeah. He, he, Strengths and weaknesses. He won the championship and then Dave Murray won the championship and I was literally typically second, third, or fourth. Uh, I was probably missing a quarter a second of actual raw lap time just from not having enough experience. Um, and, and so I never could quite match him in speed, but I could always stay in contact and watch them. Right. Right. <laughs> Which is a little frustrating, yeah. right? I, I never won a, a race in World Challenge. I've won a lot of races, but I never won a race in World Challenge. I spent seconds, thirds, fourths, and fifths over and over and over again every yeah. week, and it was kind of frustrating. And I would watch how their car would make lap time versus how my car would yeah. make lap time. But the one place I could kill Price was like the kink at Road America, you know, the fast corners at right. Mossport. Like, if you give me a corner that was over 100 miles an hour, I could just about push him down the road. Because you got to think about, like, how nervous a, a Porsche is with its... Yeah, you know, and these were 993. Rear end hanging off. These were 993. Yeah, I remember those cars. Yeah, I remember those cars. And and so so that's kind of to your point about weight distribution. Yeah. And that that's kind of a fundamental definer for a car. And it doesn't actually even have to be whether it's mid-engine or front-engine. That's usually what does it. But like for the Mercedes GT4, GT3, and even the road car, it's it's front-engined, but it's 47 front, 53 rear. Yeah. And That's because the, the entire engine is behind the front yeah, wheels. Yeah, and it's a BMW a is a six-cylinder. And it's a transaxle, yeah. too. So. The BMW is 54 front because the engine hangs out over the front end. It's got yeah. turbos with intercoolers and radiators. It's got, I think, like nine heat exchangers in the front of the car or something ridiculous yeah. like that. So uh, it, it is so nose-heavy. They put they left the lead-acid battery in the trunk to make the weight distribution yeah. better. Like we, well, we're you not know, do know we do that in a race car. We're not doing a lithium. What's we're, the point? It yeah. needs the weight back there we're anyway, gonna, right? We're just going to put some lead back there anyway. And they also did a really cool thing. They moved the, the driver's seat all the way back till it hits the 
where your feet would be on the back seat. Right. And they made the steering column like this yeah. much longer. That's like my Pikes Peak car we're building. It's like yeah, I'm yeah. sitting so in the back So you're driving seat. from the back. Yeah. Old Trans Am cars are that way too. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's all, that's all good. So that's another point to make about cars is, is the defining characteristics of how a car will handle have more to do with weight distribution. And then the one other factor you get in there is like polar moment. Yeah. So is it is it carrying the weight on two ends? Like think like Porsche 944 transaxle front engine car, yeah. you know, or things things like that, yeah. um, or or like the AMG Mercedes where it's a transaxle car but the engine's behind the front wheel, so it has more mid-engine weight distribution even though it's front engine. Yeah. Or then you shift into a mid-engine car like a Corvette or a, a G, you know, a, a Cayman type car or yeah. a Lamborghini or a McLaren or any of those mid-engine type cars, Ferraris, and then rear engine cars. Uh, that are more like a 4060 weight distribution, which is more like right. what you'd see with a Porsche. But the uh, point where I was having this, you take the least skilled drivers, mm -hmm. and then they buy the hardest car to drive. They buy it. That was your original <laughs> but, point. You're right. Big, big, the GT3. Because it's it's a very track-worthy car. Porsche makes the car with a lot of It's good a ripper. Care. Yeah. It's a ripper. It's fast. Amazing it's engine. It's got a wing oh on it. It's got God. a great motor. The camber and everything's adjustable. Shims and lower control arms. You can dial now on balls. the new one. Do you see what's on the steering wheel yeah. on the new one? Yeah. Differential, yeah, and rebound and compression, yeah, on dials on the wheel. I know, yeah. So I mean, so and, Porsche and did a phenomenal like job with the car, cornering. but it still has the motor behind them. Yeah, they were inching it forward though. Bumper. I know, but it's still too far back. It's still too far back, and so you get a person who's not very well disciplined, yes. like you or like any professional driver, and you have to slightly overslow the car to the apex, absolutely, so you can square up and use the power and use the brakes no way in. And if square you try and roll too much speed and then stay off the throttle, and here's what happens with an amateur when they carry too much speed and the car starts to go sideways, they're afraid to get back on the throttle to settle yeah. the car. So they just chase the car until they spin out or go off the road. What the right thing to do is you give it a little bit of throttle, it settles the back of the yeah. car a little bit, but because they the think they're- Get the wheel a little straighter, because and then you can Because they think they're already going too fast, yeah. they don't come back on the again, throttle. It's, again, it's thinking uh, oversteer is the limit, and it's just they're just not balanced. Because they're not balanced, like yeah. you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So if you give it a little bit of throttle, even though you're going too fast, the car will settle and roll to the speed faster. I, I always found- Where the BMW can stay off the throttle, and it just understeers less. Yes. That, that that's, that no, was no. my point. Yeah, and, that makes it easier. And for a person who wasn't a, a professional race car driver at the age of eight in a go-kart, yeah. the, 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 the benign characteristics of, of the BMW in the limit made it so I was actually fast. So, so, so basically, <laughs> someone, someone rolls it up in, a, in an M4 um, and someone rolls up in a GT3 with the same given skill level as a driver, the yes. M4 driver is probably going to be much more comfortable much quicker yes. and probably progress sooner. Yes. So I want to talk about stability and traction control Doesn't in a second. Doesn't mean the Porsche is not going to be faster No, it, the no absolutely that's not. not. That's not what we're talking but about But you need to put all. a pro behind the car. That's right. It, right. It's a whole different thing. Right. So, so that's, that's the other thing where you do have cars that are kind of experts, um, cars when, when you're yeah. driving. I always thought um, that a car would pull its peak G through a corner when its vertical load matched its weight distribution. What do you think? I'm not sure I understand what so, you're saying. So in other words, like you've got all these phases and you're, you've got a car that's good mid-corner, you've got a car that's, that's good in a high-speed corner, you've got a car that's good at putting power down out of a corner. Mm -hmm. So depending on where its weight distribution is. So as you're kind of rocking through the, your corner and you're, you're doing your certain amount of trail brake for a certain car, so, so let's say like, when you're when you're in the in the BMW, that it's quickest middle of the corner, 
Okay. Like that's that's where it excels. So yes. if you looked at it versus it cars, the car, so you, yes. you work you looked at it versus any of the other cars mm -hmm. and the other engine configurations mm -hmm. and therefore weight distributions you could get. That that's its thing. It's mid corner speed. Yeah, it doesn't really as good. Well. It doesn't power as well. But exactly. Mid corner speed is the best. So then you get into like let's say a front wheel drive car that has all of its weight on its nose. Yeah. Right. And and that thing you can, it's it's going to be quicker. Like what it's good at is entry. Yep. Because you can. Trail break the hell out of that thing. Yeah. It'd have a 911 would have spun off a mile ago. A, a Ferrari would have spun off half a mile ago. Yeah. Uh, but this thing, oh boy, you know, you can stay on the brake and just, just pin the nose. Yeah. And it loves it because it's so nose heavy. Yes. And so that's where it's going to be happiest is that pinned moment at entry. It's going to be really fast from turn into apex. Yes. Let's talk about what amateurs do to cars that make them handle worse. For well, we can, we can do, uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. okay, so, let's go there. So, okay, okay. So, so, so. Where a car will make the most lateral Jesus when you've come off of the brake, but yeah. you haven't applied throttle yet. Yeah, that little moment. That little moment, because the front is pinned, you have a lot of rake in the car. It has I a wrote lot a paper on that moment. Did I you? haven't done anything with it yet. I should okay. send it to you. So you have a maximum aerodynamic pressure on the car because it has a lot yeah. of rake in the car. You're not buying the car with the brakes. You haven't given it any throttle. You haven't unloaded the car. And the load end. hasn't transferred yet. The load hasn't transferred yet. You've turned it the car. Well, that's when you get the car to carve to the apex. Mm, see, I called that transitional redirect. It was this moment. Yeah, well, that's the same and difference. There's a couple of... Well, there's <laughs> moment. Okay, so think about it like this. You know, you know when we were talking about adjusting for the limit? Yes. Okay, so, there, so every moment where you go below... Yes. There's a moment to turn the car more. Yes. That's something good drivers in, instinctively, instinctively do. Instinctively do. Grab another so hand poster and we'll break another throttle. So that, so, so I think that's but see, cool. But what amateurs... Whenever you overslow, like whenever yes. you, for whatever reason, you, yes. if, you get, if you get bogged down by, the, by Scott Pruitt in front of you, yes. you'll crank the wheel, like really, like point so I can get on the gas earlier. Right. Right? So, right. so that's, that's a cool distinction. I'm glad you brought that up. That's yes. kind of fun because I did. I wrote a thing about it because I'm like, I don't know that anyone's ever really talked about this. It's yes. funny that you spontaneously just go, hey, there's this moment. Yes. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Well, here's, here's the problem. I've dealt with a lot of pro-am driver combinations yeah. where I have a pro at the end and an amateur starts yes. with the amateur brings yes. some money along. And they're usually pretty good. I mean, we have one right now is like within three or four tenths of Jeff. He's, he's pretty strong. He's raced a lot That's of horses. That's good. Yeah. yeah, he's very Jeff's good. Nice, nice man, too. Really, really nice guy, Sean. Um, uh, anyway, what all amateurs do, and he doesn't do it very much, is they oversold the car entry because they're afraid the Always. car is going to spin. Yes. And then before they grab that hand fill string, well, they, they start go to apply throttle. And then they the front and understeer. Yep. Now and they can't they get to the car to the apex. They complain of understeer. And they keep squeezing This throttle. is everyone. Everyone. <laughs> everyone. Everyone. Okay. Literally everyone. <laughs> yes. Literally Over, everyone. We just say overslow. And then they're overslow. wide on the exit because the car's yeah. not pointed. And then they're, they're feeding the throttle and slowly. It takes them a long time to get the watt where that pro behind them Carries more speed. Yep. In, pins a nose. Keeps grabs a nose. an extra handful of steering wheel to square the car up. He's on the Let's gas. The pause at watt. Let's the pause happen. He's on the throttle. Watt. He's driving by you on the inside while you're trying. While I, you're doing this, trying to not. I would it. always <laughs> describe that as 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 if you unwind the wheel like literally like two tenths of a second before you go to throttle, yep. the car will be happy. Yes. If you try to go to throttle at the same time, yes. or you try to go to throttle yes. before, yes, it will understeer. It took me and it's the tiniest. Fraction of freaking time, yes. like you wouldn't believe yes. it. But but the thing the thing about human beings, we love to synchronize things. Yes. So when we got off the brake, we like to go to throttle, like because because again, it just, off the brake, turn it, the wheel, then go to throttle, they, they and do, then unwind and then go to throttle. Right? Yeah. It, it, so it's it's. I mean, we're talking about tenths of a second here that make a, a functionally yes. huge difference yes. to the balance of the car. And then when they come in and complain about it, and this is they don't have Steve. <laughs> 
What they do is they make the car looser to compensate for yeah. the understeer, and, and they end they up with this car oversteering <laughs> car that is really slow from turning to apex and is unraceable because every time someone checks up in front of you, you spin it. Yeah, and they cause the problem. They the cause the problem. It took me 10 years as a race car driver to grasp this. Yes. Right? I mean, I, I, I was the person that always, I didn't oversell the car. I actually had no problem carrying speed in. But I was always impatient when they get into the throttle. Yes. And, I were, and, I would, and so I, I didn't have the overslow. I would trail brake in and use the weight of the BMW just to get the car to turn like I wanted to. But then I wouldn't grab the last handful of steering one on wind before I went to throttle. I would start to apply throttle with the wheel in and I would chase the throttle all the way to the exit of the car and then drop a wheel in the dirt on the way out trying to roll as much speed out of the corner, thinking I was a brave hero because I could drop the wheel in the, in the dirt and not lose control of the car and stay on the gas. Right. And that was a good skill, by the way. He did uh, all that in one breath, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> good breath control. So, so, it's very hard to, especially at altitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I almost had to give him CPR. <laughs> so, I mean, when I, when, I, when I amateurs almost always tell me the car understeers on the throttle. Oh, that always. always. So this is really common, okay. and it's so. really cool that you you brought it up, and then we got to kind of talk about it for a few minutes. Yes. So okay, so I think we're getting close on time here. We are. And I want to talk about now, and this this segues perfectly from what we've been talking about because this is the last piece of this driving puzzle, I think, over what we've chatted about okay. thusly, and that is stability and traction control. That is driver aids. Yeah. Because you're 911 GT3 guy, that's what he does. So he doesn't spin the car to track day yeah. because he keeps all the systems on. Yeah, but and it's this, slowing him down. It's slowing him down. It's yeah. also, here's the bad thing about these systems. So the good news is it keeps you on the track. That it, is good. That is, I mean, and that's really good. Lower cost It's a, a $180,000 plus car. The question is, can you drive the car without setting it off? So the... Yes. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I, I hate him so much. <laughs> Sorry. So much. Uh, if you, Thunder if, Stealer if over here. If you don't bind the car up, yes. it won't turn but, on. But and the, you can leave it on it, but you they don't get, use it. They get used to that little flashy light all the time, I, I and they know. start ignoring it. And so now they're they're doing any 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 damn thing into the corner, and the yep. car's saving them every time, and they're driving it every time. And, and so they will start to form habit doing that. Yep. And they will have very bad technique. And if they ever jump in anything that doesn't have stability and traction control, yeah. uh, whether it's a benign BMW or a hard-to-drive Porsche, it doesn't matter. They are going to struggle mightily with this car because they don't have this granular feel of how they're responsible for the yeah. balance of the vehicle. They've been relying on these electronic systems for doing this the whole time. ABS is the same way. Traction control is the same way out of the corner. You're not going to have a feel for degressive braking if all you're doing is mashing on the brake and getting into the ABS. Um, you're you're going to have a very hard time developing a, a very sort of beautiful, perfectly timed and synced with your steering input and your where you're going and how fast you're going. So your rate of turn, all those things needs that perfect brake release for that particular corner, that moment yeah. to make the car transition from straight away to effectively carving through yeah. the corner. Right. And, and so use those things carefully because they are a shortcut but they are also a shortcut to mediocrity, where you're never gonna be really technically a good driver, let alone a great driver, no matter how fast your car is with that system on going around the racetrack. Yeah. It ain't yours till you own it, until you're driving it with those systems off. You need to do that in tiny little steps. Um, you get in certain cars, they're very good. Those systems can actually be defeated level by level. Um, the Mercedes stuff that I have, um, they have a two setting 
stability control and a nine setting traction control. It's awesome. Which is really cool on the AMG stuff, on some of their, their track, more track focused stuff. Um, so think about that, but here's the way I would end this whole driver thing. Okay. And that is go to a school. Do not learn to drive in a club setting. You'll build bad habits. You need professional instruction by people that understand yeah. all these things Steve and I have been talking about for the last hour and a half. And, and what they're trying to do, club-level racing is designed to be safe. And safety is great. We're very concerned about safety in motorsports. The reason these two old guys are still up here talking right now is because we've obviously been either really lucky or pretty good at the safety thing, right? Because yeah. we made it. Through, through I've a, rolled a couple cars up into a ball. <laughs> not very that, many, but it's a couple not a good, times. It's not, a good, it's not helping, Steve. Not helping. <laughs> so, <laughs> the safety equipment works good. Yeah, but the safety equipment works. So, so what you want to do is you go to a school, you know, like AMG Academy, or you go to a Skip Barber, or you go to some sort of school, Jim Russell, a professional school, a level up. There's several different schools that are operating. And you go and you jump in a very lightweight, which we've been talking about, very direct without power steering or power brakes or any of that thing. A little formula car that's like a go-kart, but just kind of slightly bigger, weighs a thousand pounds, very quick around a racetrack, very challenging to drive. Everything you that car does is on you. There's no electronic systems anywhere. And and once you can drive something like that and you go back and you go back and you go back and you, you get a level of competency where you're comfortable with a car like that, you've ingrained all that stuff, you're flowing in a car like that, go rip around in that GT3 with everything turned off and you're a driver now. Yeah, and even more, I, I think if you're... It, it if you want to go do a lot of lapping days and you don't want to belong, you don't want to go over to a school or rent a race car for a long period of time, buy a car that's underpowered that handles well. Yeah, like that, buy, that helps. Like, like buy a GT4 car with 450 horsepower instead of a thousand pound, a thousand horsepower street car that weighs a thousand yeah. pounds more, or buy a Miata or MX5, which and are get a blast some to drive and get some coaching. Good a professional coaching. coach. Yeah, but a car that's easy to drive in the limit that will teach you good habits, good yep. fundamental habits. Yep. Because if you have a car that's Easy to drive, it's well-balanced, it's not overpowered, you have a good coach. You put those two together, your skills will go way up. And then when you get to the harder car with more power, you can do it. Absolutely. Right? And that's the way to do it, to own the skills, not yeah. to rely on ever, because it, it is getting better. Every year these systems get better. At some point, they're, you're barely going to be driving the car. So, so that's really important to remember that, that this whole driving aspect of this, and if you're going to get respect as a racer at any level, whether it's amateur motorsports working your way into professional motorsports, it's going to have to be without those systems. Now, those systems are used in some forms of motorsport, and because the motorsports versions of those systems are so amazingly good, you kind of have to use them yeah. to be competitive. Unfortunately, I'm not happy that that's a thing, but, honestly, but it is all, a thing. All my professional drivers all use the ABS and are all fast with the ABS. You can't beat ABS and racing ABS. Right. But racing all, ABS is different. But they all turn the trash control off right. and can go faster with it off than with it on when it comes to Thank car racing. Thank so God. we're still better than the computer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Human beings win. Thanks for sticking with us through this. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I'm going to do more and more podcasts. I'm going to have more and more guests. If I can ever get Steve to not be a guest, it sounds like he wants to come back and talk continuously, which I'd happily have I, I could do. do that, yeah. So, um, so I want to thank you, Steve, for coming out. Thank you. Um, great friend, great mentor, too, amazing man. engineer, great driver. You too, man. And um, always a pleasure uh, getting to chat with you yeah. uh, on any level. And so getting to do it like this and get to share it 
um, on a podcast is uh, pretty special. So yeah. thanks, it's, it's thanks so much. Useful. Thank you very Such much. Such a pleasure. All right. And, uh, and yeah, join me again for another podcast with the Optimum Drive. And uh, that's, of course, promoted and made possible by the Fastlane car. So thank you, everyone at Fastlane, for, for letting me do this. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do some more. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.